At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today we're going to be launching into a new series that's going to take us into Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 1. And over the next three Sundays, we're going to be talking about how we can connect for the gospel, how we can connect for the gospel. Because God has not left us alone, but He has united us together for a very important purpose. Now, when I think about connecting for the gospel, it, it causes my mind to wander in the direction of teams. And I'm thinking of a number of the great teams that I've been a part of in my life. From the very beginning, I was born the son of Dick and Bev Robinson, the brother of Debbie Robinson, now Villiger. And so from the very start, I've been a part of Team Robinson, and that's been an amazing blessing in my life. Growing up in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, I was born in the right place at the right time so that the basketball teams I participated in won three out of four state championships from my freshman to my senior year. And that had nothing to do with me, but had to do with being born at the right place and at the right time. But yet I got to enjoy the blessings of that era. I think about my time in college and just the relationships I made through a fraternity and just the opportunity we had to team together on the university campus in a number of different ways and the blessing that was to me. I think about 1996 when my wife said, I do, and a new Team Robinson was born. Then I think about the expansion draft we had in 2007 to, to add to that team and just what a blessing that team has been. And then I think about the last 20 years of serving here at Wildwood and just what a blessing it has been to be a part of this church, to be a part of this staff team and elder team and just a part of this church family. Just the, the teams that I've been a part of in my life have been a tremendous blessing to me. Teams are places where we share in the celebration of victory and defeat. And it's just wonderful to be able to experience all of those moments in life together and not separate. Now, when I go through those illustrations, no doubt you're sitting there thinking about teams that you have been a part of. And so I want you just to zero in in your brain just for a moment on some of the teams that you've been a part of. Maybe some of the things I shared brought memories of athletic teams or family or workplace or whatever it might be. But for others of you, as I walk through these expressions of team, you may be sitting there thinking, all that sounds great, but right now I really don't have a team at all. I feel kind of alone. And if that's the case, if you are experiencing no team, or even if the team that you're experiencing is not all you hoped that it might be, just know this morning, be encouraged that you and I are both a part of a team. We're part of the same team. We're part of the Wildwood Community Church team. That's right. God has placed us together for a reason. We're, we're a part of a team together. And so in order to kind of symbolize that, I want you to reach under your chair and pull out your jersey. Actually, they're not there. But, but if, it'd be really cool if there were, right? You pull it out, everybody puts a jersey on, right? Because jerseys are symbolic of team. But if you were to put on that jersey, what number would you have on the back of it? So I want you to think for just a moment about 
your age as your number of jersey, okay? And so on the count of three, we're going to say the number that's on the back of our jersey. You can mumble it. It's okay. But here we go. One, two, three, 47. Hey, all the kids said it much louder than the parents. Um, but, you know, in my case, I'd have number 47 on the back, whatever number you would have on the back of your jersey. But guess what? You're all number one in my heart. Ah, isn't that sweet? No, here's the thing, friends. We are a part of a team. And by God's grace, he has united us together as a church family. And not just to entertain each other, but has united us together as a church family so that we might connect for the gospel, so that we might labor together to both encourage one another in our spiritual growth, but also to make an impact for eternity. And we have an opportunity to be a part of that as a church. So if you're here today and you feel alone, guess what? Our invitation this morning is to be a part of this team as we compete together in life in the days ahead. This morning, we're going to dive into our first installment in this series by looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In these 11 verses, we're going to see something about what it looks like for us to connect for the gospel together. And so if you've got uh, your Bible, take it and turn to Philippians chapter 1, first 11 verses. I want to read these verses for us, and then we're going to back up, and I'll make a couple of observations today. Paul writes, and he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus." And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Friends, in these 11 verses, we're going to see a couple of things together about connecting for the gospel. The first thing that we're going to see is this, our church is our team. Our church is our team. Now, we see this by recognizing the parallel between Paul's connection with the Philippians and our connection with the church here at Wildwood. See, Philippi was a city in which there was a local church. And in the first verse that I read today, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, we see Paul talking about who the letter is from and who the letter is to. Now, again, in ancient writings like this, the, the, the from part of the letter would come first. And so Paul is saying this letter is from Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. But this letter goes to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. In other words, all of the believers in Jesus Christ who are in Philippi along with the overseers and the deacons, including the leaders of that church. 
So Paul here is talking about a connection he has with a particular local church, a church in the city of Philippi. And and this church in Philippi was a, a church with which Paul had a very close and personal relationship that went back many years. I think Paul would have considered himself to be a founding member of this church. Because when you think about the connection that Paul had with the Philippians, the first thing we remember is that Paul planted this church. In Acts chapter 16, we get the story of how the Lord led Paul in his missionary journey across into the continent of Europe, and the first church is planted on the continent of Europe in the city of Philippi. The first convert being Lydia and her household, and then it moved on to a jailer and his household, and eventually a church is really blooming and blossoming there in the city of Philippi. And Paul was a part of its start. So he had a close relationship with them that went all the way back to the beginning of that church. Not only that, but the relationship between Paul and the Philippians had continued so that even as Paul had had left and gone around and continued to minister in different cities around the Roman Empire, the Philippian church had continued to be a financial supporter of Paul's ministry. If you're with us last summer, we we saw in the month of July in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 16, how the Philippians had given consistent and repeated financial gifts to Paul and his ministry. We also see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 9 when Paul makes reference to a gift from the Macedonians and Philippi being in the region of Macedonia, no doubt he had their gift in mind. And so we, we have this continued participation between the Philippians and the Apostle Paul in this connection, both as Paul planted the church and then as they had continued in partnership in this ministry together. But also their partnership was not just in finances, but also was in people. And so when the Philippians found out that the Apostle Paul was imprisoned, they they sent one of their best and brightest, someone named Epaphroditus, to go and care for Paul in Rome. And we see his story talked about in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, some verses that we're going to look at next month together. But, But needless to say, what we see from this is that Paul had a long and consistent connection with the church in Philippi. This was like his church that he was a part of. Now, because of that connection, it shouldn't surprise us the way the Apostle Paul talks about the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 1. He he talks at first about how they have a partnership together in the gospel. Look at what it says in verse 5. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is saying, from the very first day I came to your city, as people began to believe, we have had this partnership in the gospel, partnership in believing the same gospel. It was Jesus' death on the cross that saved both Paul and the Philippians. So there was a a partnership in that part of the gospel. But also there was a partnership in the proclamation of the gospel. The the Philippians were proclaiming the same message on the streets of Philippi that Paul proclaimed when he was there. They were partnering and sharing the message with that city. But even as Paul went and as they sent resources and people to care for him, they were partnering to proclaim the gospel all over the Roman Empire together. So Paul writes to them and he talks about their relationship as an active partnership in the gospel together. Not only did they have a partnership in the gospel, but also they were partakers of the same grace. They were partakers of the same grace. Look at what it says in the the middle of verse 7. He says, for you all are partakers with me of grace. Paul acknowledges that the Philippians were followers of Jesus, not because they were so great, but because God was so gracious 
And God had invited and opened the eyes of their, of their hearts so that they might see and believe. And that's the same thing that happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. So they were partakers of that same grace that helped them begin that relationship with God. But not only were they connected at the beginning with grace, but also Paul recognized that that grace was sustaining both of them and growing both of them in their sanctification or their practice of holiness throughout their lives. God was transforming them. As we've talked about over the last six weeks, as, as they followed Jesus, there was, they were moving towards transformation. And that transformation was coming because of God's grace to work in them. Verse 6 tells us the assurance that Paul had about them. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, your salvation, Philippians, was just the beginning. God has made a commitment to you just as God made a commitment to me. The Holy Spirit moved into you just as the Holy Spirit moved into Paul and was transforming them from the inside out and developing them over time. It would not stop that work until they were in the presence of God forever. And so they were partakers of the same grace, partners of the same gospel. But also, they were persevering through difficulty. They were persevering through difficulty. I love what is said at the, at the end of verse 7. After talking about being partakers with him in grace, Paul says this. He says, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What, what Paul was saying there is he says, you have stuck with me in good times and in bad. You have supported me in my ministry when I've been able to stand on street corners and proclaim and defend the gospel, the good times. But you also have stood with me when I'm imprisoned and you don't know for sure what all is going on. In the good times and the bad, you've stuck with me. Paul says, thanks that I'm still your apostle even in the midst of difficult moments. And I think the Philippians might reciprocate this and say, Paul, thanks for still being a part of our church and still writing to us and still caring for us, even when we've got petty disagreements, as we saw in Philippians chapter 4, 1 and 2 earlier this summer. The Philippians and Paul were committed together. They were a part of the same team. They had the same jersey. They were, they were connected as a part of a local church. Now, because they were partnering and they were partaking and they were persevering together, there were a few things that Paul also said about their relationship. He said to them, he said, you are, are on my mind. You're on my mind. Verse, verse 3 says, it says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. Paul says, you're, you're on my mind. But not only are you, are you on my mind, but he says, you're also on my heart. Now, that's important because there are people who are on our minds, but they're also on our nerves, right? But Paul writes here and says, you're not just on my mind, but you're on my heart. You're on my heart. Verse 7 mentions this at the very beginning. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. He had a genuine affection for the Philippians. He cared for them. He was moved emotionally as he thought of them, because of the connection and the history and the partnership that they had together. Not only were they on his mind and they were on his heart, but it shouldn't surprise us, they were also on his agenda, right? The things that are on our minds and the things that are on our hearts typically make it on our schedules, don't they? 
Paul writes in verse 8, and he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm I'm yearning for you. I can't wait to see you. I'm going to make it a priority to connect with you. I'm going to write you right now as a down payment on what hopefully will be a future connection in some way. See, on his mind and on his heart and on his agenda, because of the connection they had on the same team, in Christ. I, I love what Warren Wearsby points out in, in light of verse 8. You know, oftentimes we think of our, our Christian community and we want to process it as, you know, our love for one another under the banner of church, but that's not exactly what's going on. Wearsby reminds us in connection to verse 8, he says, it was, Paul's lo- it was not Paul's love channeled through Christ, but it's Christ's love channeled through Paul. See, as, as the, he thought of his connection with the Philippians, he says, not, hey, I love you, but he says, there's an affection that I have for you, which is the affection that Christ has for you that I am now expressing. As we gather as believers and we remember that we're a part of the same team, friends, we might encourage one another with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so here really is the, the question for us. The question for us is, is this unique? Is Paul's relationship with Philippi, uh, the the church in Philippi, is it a a one-off? In other words, is this the one location where community and true fellowship exists, or is it possible elsewhere? And friends, I I think what we need to remember is that not only is it possible elsewhere, but this is part of the reason for which Christ died. He died to connect us in one body. He wants expressions of community like the one that Paul had with his church, his team, to also be exhibited among you and I as we connect with our team. See, we have an opportunity for some true fellowship with one another, and it's important for us to think about what fellowship is because when I say fellowship, some of you have been around church long enough that you're just thinking that fellowship is like a potluck, right? Or just some kind of superficial connection attached to any old type of activity. But that's not really what fellowship is from the biblical sense. Fellowship in the biblical sense is is partnering on the gospel and partaking of the same grace and persevering through difficulties together. Friends, those things ought to happen in this place, not just in that place. God has built into us the love of Christ that we might live out a fellowship that resembles the connection that Paul had with the Philippians. And so if that's the case, then I want to ask each of us some probing questions about true fellowship and are we really a part of it? First question I would ask is this, are you partnering in the gospel? Are you partnering in the gospel? You know, often when we think of fellowship, we think of a withdrawal, something that we get or something that we take. We go to a, a church and we, we want to get fellowship. But when I look at fellowship from a, a biblical standpoint, it's not just something that we give, it's something, or something that we get, it's something that we give. It's a deposit that we make, not just a withdrawal that we take. And so if we long to have fellowship like Paul had with the Philippians, then we need to take a step to partner together around the common cause of the gospel. 
around the person of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in Him? Are we investing in our, our time and our talent and our, our treasure together around the gospel? If so, then there can be a fellowship that could exist among us as we are not just gathering in the same room, but we're of the same mind and on the same mission, partnering to take the good news of Jesus, not just to this place, but throughout the world. I love what commentator Ralph Martin says of this passage. He says, we today might take the lesson to heart that the sign of our professed love for the gospel is the measure of sacrifice we're prepared to make in order to help its progress. We rejoice that we have come to know the Savior. What are we doing to make Him known to others? Friends, when we think about fellowship, it, a aspect of that is how we might personally invest in partnering in the gospel together as a church community. How are you investing? How are you sacrificing for that end today? Well, the second question I want to ask is, consistent with what we saw in Paul's relationship with the Philippians, and that has to do with grace. Are we partaking of the same grace? Now, here's the thing. When we think of grace, we all want grace. We all want to be treated with grace. We know that we're not there. We know that we're a work in progress, and we long for people to treat us graciously accordingly. But do we extend that same grace to others? Do we believe that those around us also are not there yet, also are still in development, a work in progress, and also are recipients of the same grace of God that you have and that I have? Friends, when we remember that we are all partaking of the same grace, then we are willing to to, to extend a little extra rope and grace in the way that we treat one another and encourage one another in the midst of difficulty. We find ourselves being short with one another or super critical of one another. It's possible that we have forgotten that we're partaking of the same grace and we're all maturing on different areas at different paces at different times. As we gather together as a church family, are we remembering that we are partaking of the same grace? We're partnering in the same gospel and we're partaking of the same grace. And lastly, the question we could ask is, are we persevering through difficult times? Are we persevering through difficult times? Again, the Philippians and Paul did not hit the eject button when things were challenging or there were unknowns, but they persevered through those times. The question is, are we doing that as well? It's all too easy in today's day and age to hit the eject button on your church. You can hit it and Sometimes people might not even notice for a while because there's a lot of people around and there's the middle of a pandemic and it might be easy to just hit the reset and, and move away. I, I think one of the things that we, we see inside of this passage is a reminder that if we want this kind of depth and layer in our community, then we would not run away, but we would stay and we would invest together even through difficult times. Now, I know as I say that, that many of you have a story that involves being at a different church at a different time, and I'm not here to make any comments about those experiences, but I think all of us would agree and acknowledge that the norm is to be invested for the long haul in a season and not just moving from place to place, starting over, like reading the introduction of a book again and again and again until you get to the meat of the chapters and then start over in another place. 
Friends, true fellowship is partnering in the gospel. It's participating in the same grace, and it's persevering through difficult times. Are we, are we doing those things? If so, we're exhibiting elements of a true fellowship together. We have each other on each other's minds and in our hearts and onto our agendas together. Well, if our church is our team, then what do we do? And we've talked about some implications of what it looks like to be on a team and, and some things that we might do, but, but well, what else might we do? And is there anything specific that this passage mentions that we should do if we remember that our church family is a team that we're a part of? Well, I think there's something very specific that's mentioned in this passage, and that is this. We are to pray for our teammates. We're to pray for our teammates. Now, it helps us to understand this point by remembering the physical distance that separated Paul from the Philippians when he wrote this. Paul was in prison at the time he wrote this, and he was in prison in Rome. Philippi was a different city over on another section of the Roman Empire. When you look at it on a map, here's Rome over on the far left side, and here's Philippi way over here. Some 800 miles separated those two locations, and that was by plane. And there were no planes, and there was no live stream in the first century. So when you think about the physical distance that separated Paul from the Philippians at that time and the lack of technology, we might want to throw up our hands and say, well, there's nothing that they could do. There's no way that this relationship could maintain and continue. There's nothing they could do on a daily basis. Sure, they might be able to send a gift every once in a while, but there's nothing they could do daily to maintain that relationship and that connection. But if, if that was our thought, then we're forgetting or minimizing a very important ministry that Paul had with the Philippians and the Philippians had with him, and that was the ministry of prayer. It wasn't there's nothing we could do so they pray, but there's something they could do. So they prayed for one another. Specifically, we see Paul's prayer for the Philippians in verses 3 and 4. Paul says, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Knowing that he was a part of this team, Paul regularly, every time it came to his mind, was praying for the Philippian church. He was praying for his teammates. Friends, how often do we pray for one another? How often do we lift up one another before the Lord? And if we do, what are the kinds of things that we pray for? Sure, we, we might pray for someone if we know that they have a physical need, like they are sick, and we pray for them to, to, to get well. Or, or if they are laid off, we might pray for them to get a job. Or if they are lacking some kind of a resource, we pray that they would get it. And all those things are biblical categories for us to pray for individuals. But those are all sporadic is there anything that on a regular basis would drive us to pray? And not just for an individual, but for all of our church family. Well, for Paul, there was something that drove him to prayer for the Philippians. And what drove him to prayer for the Philippians was this reminder that they were on the same team. They were partaking of the same 
grace. They were partnering in the same gospel. They were persevering through difficulties together. And so because of that, he was going to regularly pray for his teammates. And as he prayed for them, friends, he didn't just pray for their physical needs. As a matter of fact, we don't see him praying for their physical needs at all in chapter 1. But what we see instead is him praying for their spiritual development. He prays that their lives would be transformed by the grace that rested inside of them through the work of Jesus Christ. Are we praying for our teammates in a spiritual way that our lives would be transformed? Well, part of the challenge that we run into when we think about praying for each other in that way is we think, well, what would I pray for? I mean, do I just pray, Lord, bless Raymond, just bless him. And that's a wonderful prayer, but I could pray that once, and it's a second long prayer. Is there anything else I might pray? Well, friends, thankfully, the Apostle Paul lets us know what he was praying for, for the Philippians. And I think it creates for us a wonderful pattern for how we might pray for one another inside the body of Christ here at Wildwood. Remembering that we're on the same team, how might we pray for us? How might we pray for each other in our spiritual transformation and growth? Well, Paul lets us know what that is in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. In these verses, he outlines a number of different things that that we are to pray for one another about. One of the things that he's praying for the Philippians, he says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. What a wonderful thing to pray, right? Lord, I, I, I pray knowing that, that this body, this, this place, Wildwood Community Church is a place that has exhibited so much love in the past. It's been a place of hope and life and encouragement where the gospel has been taught and preached and, and where ministry has gone on in this place and around the world. Thank you so much, Lord, for the love that you have flowed through this place. But I pray in this moment, that that love might abound more and more because, Jesus, we believe you're not done with this place just yet, but you're continuing to develop us. Therefore, would you continue to abound your love through us? That's the prayer that Paul prays. Not only that, but he prays that this love that is abounding through us, that it would be tempered with knowledge and all discernment, that it wouldn't just be some generic expression of emotion, but it would be a love that is in line with the Word of God, a love that is in line with the will of God, a love that is maturing in its application and in its expression as we understand more of who God is and what He is calling us to. Lord, may we more and more understand who You are so that as Your love continues to well up in us, we are demonstrating that love in the right ways, in the right places, the ways that You would intend for it to be demonstrated so that we might approve what is excellent so that we would not waste our lives on inferior things, but that we might invest our lives in the things that are truly most important. And then he continues and he he talks about the coming day of Christ, the idea that one day the Philippians would stand before their heavenly Father and must give an account for their lives on that day when Jesus returns. And it's as if Paul praise and he's, he says, I, I, I pray that they would be pure and blameless, that they would have no regrets when they stand before Jesus, that, that we might pray for a church. Lord, that, that we might be a congregation, that when Jesus comes back, that you might say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. 
as you have invested well the resources that I have entrusted to you. Not only does he pray that for them, but he goes on and he says he he prays that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that the Philippians might be marked by such things as they abided in Christ. And the same thing would be true of us. We might pray for each other that our lives would be demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit as we interact with one another and as we interact with the world around us. Then he concludes by praying all of these things to the glory and the praise of God that Ultimately, what would be known is not that the Philippians were really great, but that the Philippians worshiped a really great God. Friends, this is how Paul prayed for the Philippian church. And and friends, this is how we can pray for one another, remembering that we're teammates, that we might pray on a regular basis for the spiritual transformation of one another. You know, when we think about praying for our teammates and we think about this example and model that's demonstrated for us here, what what if we took it to heart and what if we really prayed these things? Somewhere between five and seven hundred people will gather in these three service or four services today in person. Um, you know, a few hundred more gathering online. What if what if a thousand people, a part of this same team, hit our knees and for the next seven days prayed this prayer for our church? and for our church family. What if we did that together? I want to challenge you to do that together with me over the next week. This is not like, well, we'll check the prayer box for a week. You can continue it beyond that. But I'm just saying, just in order to develop the pattern and the habit, would you pray with me for the next seven days, every day, this prayer of Philippians 1, 9 through 11? As you think about praying that, oftentimes we read these verses and we think, well, that's what I want to pray for me, and that's good. These are good things to pray for ourselves, or I want to pray it for my kids. That's a great thing to pray for your kids, or kids, I want to pray that for my parents. It's a great thing to pray for your parents. But I'm saying, let's also pray that for one another. I mean, look down the row. Look down the aisle right now. Might we pray this for those that you see? Might you pray it for those that you you don't even know, but who we are connected on the same team. Might we, might we pray these realities, knowing that God is at work to bring us to completion? Now, in order to facilitate us praying this, I, I want you to know that I've put together a resource that might guide us in this time of prayer. And it's available on my blog. So it just went live just a little, little while ago. But if you go to pastormarkrobinson.com, you'll see a, uh, a, a two-page handout. It's all there online, or you can click the link to download a PDF and print it out, stick it in your Bible, just like I've done. But you'll notice that there's some scripture at the top, but then it breaks down the different parts of that prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippians with some different prompts and some supplemental verses, just that we might be praying together for our church family that we might have the kind of fellowship that Paul had with the Philippians and that we might see the kind of transformation of life that Paul saw in the church in Philippi as we live out this Christian life together. Friends, as we take this step, would you not just pray with me in this moment, we're going to pray together, but would you pray over the next seven days this prayer with us together? Let's pray. Father God, it is our prayer 
that your love would abound more and more in our lives, and that as it abounds, that you would give us your knowledge and discernment so that we might approve what is excellent, and so that we might be pure and blameless at the time when Christ returns, that you would fill us as a congregation with fruits of your righteousness that come as we abide in Christ. And Father, that in all of these things, you would be the one who receives the glory and the praise. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.